0: Coming up on today's show, we talk the new Avengers trailer, Aladdin, and Spencer and I begin part one of our five part series about the creative process behind our show, All American on the CW.
1: And we do a spoiler heavy review of Netflix new film, Triple Frontier. Welcome to the Film Study Podcast here on WRTS presented by Uninterrupted. I'm Spencer Pasinger, former NFL linebacker turned TV producer, and I'm here with my good friend and producing partner, Dane Mork. Yo, yo. (laughs) Interact with the show by following us on social media, Pasinger Without the Vows and Dane Mork. Uh, Be sure to use the hashtag Film Study Podcast to interact with us.
0: There's no other Dane Mork, so it's (laughs) easy to find.
1: (laughs) Whether you're subscribing to the show, listening to it in your car or whatever, rate the show, review it, subscribe to it wherever you get your podcast,
0: We want to hear from you. So uh, yeah, take a listen. And we're also here with producer Matt.
2: What's up? I, what's going on? I'd like to mention five stars is always preferred.
1: Five stars. Yes. Always
2: preferred. <laughs> yeah. um, be cool.
1: So, I'm <laughs> we, forcing you to do five stars. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yes. So, we had a great meeting this week. Uh, we had a little production meeting to map out exactly what all these segments were going to be on the show. We were super pumped. It was cool. Oh, my gosh. It was it amazing. Was good so, we've got all these great new segments for you. <laughs> However, this morning, marvel decides to drop the second avengers endgame trailer so before we even get into our brand new segments that we're super pumped about, i want to know your initial Fun. thoughts you guys on the avengers endgame trailer i uh, i have this routine this isn't tmi <laughs> but i
0: wake up in the morning and i always look at you know everyone looks at instagram except yesterday where everyone's freaking out but i was looking at instagram and I, a poster, like I refreshed the page and a mm-hmm. poster came up and I'm mm-hmm. like, shit, like we're going to have, like, we have to talk about this. This is coming out. Um, well,
1: I woke up to like 13 text messages from you guys at 540 in the morning. One, what the fuck are you guys doing up that early? Yeah. 100%. And also like, I think, I think Day was even on his like 10th or 11th yeah. time watching it.
0: The film study pod thread on text is pretty good when a new trailer <laughs> drops, but uh, I mean, overall thoughts, I mean... I love that I still don't know shit about this film. Yeah. And I got kind of goosebumps with the lead up with Tony and Steve. And I'm just I just I'm so happy I don't know much about this film and I can't wait to get into it. The
1: fact that we don't know anything about this film, when the trailer drops, we're studying every single frame of it. Yeah. You know, I mentioned in our in our group chat that uh widows hair, black widow's hair goes from like light and blonde to like long and red with yeah. blonde tips i'm like how long is this movie supposed to span cap has but, a beard
0: he doesn't have a beard
1: <laughs> but it's just little things like that where you don't know what's going to happen we heard that they said all, all the footage from the trailer is going to be only the first 20 minutes so technically uh, uh tony stark is supposed to come back they're supposed to get these like quantum realm suits yeah and blast off to whatever mission they are they're going to in the first 20 minutes i don't believe it i don't believe anything that they say until I see it on screen.
0: It's crazy in just the character pops that they did, you know, how much we didn't learn, but how much we did. Where, like, you know, in the first trailer, that scene um, of them walking in the airport hangar, Tony's not there. Yeah, They're not in those white suits. Yeah. They're not doing those things. So it's like they're definitely, they're really thinking about marketing in a strategic way. And I dug this trailer, and those suits at the end, that was... That was,
2: they also digitally removed him in the first trailer. Then, right, everyone was kind of speculating, like, what's that gap right there? Yeah. It
0: was characters, so they were like, right. it was either Captain. I mean, I can't speak for it, but like, it was either Captain Marvel or Hulk or something. Because now they're talking about, you know, they didn't show Hulk for a reason. Yeah. I think because he that's kind of a plot point. I think. Well, but, uh, the
1: poster Mark Ruffalo is on the poster, not Hulk. I think this is the first time they have that on the poster. Yeah, which yeah, is, which is interesting.
0: Yeah, so that that was cool, and I mean, the only spoiler really is just you know that Tony gets back. Hey, you know?
1: They're, they're fucking dead. They're so dead. <laughs> Tony, Tony and Star Steve Cap, are dead. They are, they are dead.
0: Why else do you throw, like, a little, like, tribute in the beginning? <laughs> like, come on. But it was such a good lead-up. The trailer I couldn't be more excited for this film, and I love that they're not
1: sharing that much. I mean, even for Captain America's suit on the poster, everybody's commenting that this is the scale suit. This is, a, this is one of the best suits that apparently he's ever had, mm-hmm. but he also dies in this suit in the comics.
0: And Iron Man is now wearing the old... Retro like more gold and yeah. red outfit, which was like in the old Avengers uh, arcade game. Hey, and which was the best. But it's
1: they're casket ready. You gotta put your best. Telling us something, when you're going down. So
0: I mean, take my money.
2: <laughs> I mean this wasn't the only Marvel news though this week. And this kind of segues nice into our first uh, our first segment here, hot takes. So the first uh news about Shang Chi's director dropped. So Marvel tapped destined Daniel Cretton to direct. Right. So, mm-hmm. Spencer, I'm gonna dish this over to you. Take one.
1: <laughs> I think Shang Chi will make more money than Black Panther. <laughs> it will be way more popular than Black Panther.
0: Really? Absolutely. Do you think they just like saw the success of uh, Crazy Rich Asians and Black Panther and was like, let's make a baby? That's
1: exactly this movie. <laughs> 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 it's like let's market to over a billion people. Yeah, and throw like what thousands of years of culture and fabric and heritage from the Chinese uh, culture, throw it into a two-hour film just like they did Black Panther and get an extra couple billion dollars from it.
0: I mean, it's it's the right move. I
1: mean, I mean even even who they have writing it. Like Dave Callahan, who's pinning the script right now, mm-hmm. he co-wrote Wonder, Wonder Woman, Woman. 2, right? 1984. Wonder
0: yeah, Wonder the 1984. sequel to Wonder Woman. Yeah. He's
1: doing uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Verse 2. He's doing, he penned the script for Zombieland 2, the initial notes for that. I can't and, wait for that. Yeah. Uh, I think he did a um, uh, legendary uh, Godzilla's reboot. So oh. this, is a, this is a guy, like his pin game is strong. The fact that he's doing Spider, uh, Into the Spider-Verse 2, I'm going to see this. I'm going to see Shang-Chi and sit there with my, with my Chinese garb on, just like I did in <laughs> Black Panther, and I'm going to be one with the film for two hours. But that's
0: the thing is like, they know what they're doing. Like, this is going to make a shitload of money. Disney
2: knows exactly. And they know exactly what, exactly what they're
0: doing. They know who their audience is. And like, I mean, it, it, This, w- I don't doubt that, but I will be shocked. I, I don't doubt it's success, but I will be shocked if it makes more money than Black Panther. So for,
1: for those of you guys that don't know who Shang-Chi is, he is somebody that was, I guess, raised in captivity from his dad, had no influence from the outside world. Once he's able to experience the outside world, he realized that his dad isn't, I guess, the best guy to raise him. Uh, gets to the point where they become like mortal enemies because his dad apparently is called like the devil's doctor. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably the main villain in this origin story. He's, so.
0: he's called the master of Kung Fu. <laughs> and he was actually created by the dude uh, Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin, and they created Thanos. So it's under that same kind of character yeah. tree. And I thought that was cool. But they uh, they created this character, I believe it was in the 70s. Yeah, um, 73. Yeah, and it was kind of, it was a little more stereotypical then. Yeah, um, so, like talking
1: about Asian American yeah, well, culture in 1973. Like his dad's, his
0: dad's name was Fu Manchu. <laughs> <laughs> like, so, you know, they... They're going to correct some things. I read a, an article the other day about it. And they said, this will be a great... Uh, opportunity to reinvent that character yeah. and push it forward, and you know, give audiences something to latch onto. But uh, it's a Marvel movie. I'm gonna go see I'm it. i to see it. Yeah, Marvel
2: it. Disney go. knows exactly what they're doing. This kind of gets into the second news uh, that I want to get into this week. Right. The first full live action Aladdin trailer dropped this week. Dane, I want to hear your hot take on this. So take two. Aladdin finally doesn't look bad. Doesn't it? Finally, you. doesn't look bad. It doesn't.
0: It doesn't look great. But okay, this trailer sold me because I finally saw the cartoon. Yeah, not not like I finally saw the cartoon. Yeah. I finally saw the cartoon in the movie. Yeah,
1: the song, like some that, of the yeah. shots.
0: You know, like when like one of my favorite scenes of the original Aladdin is when he's running through the town. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're all chasing him in Agrabah, and that. Um, big parade is going on and stuff. And You said Agrabah like it's just like down the street.
1: Like, oh, yeah, you know, I, went to, I went to Agrabah yesterday for some drinks.
0: I think how many times you've I've said Agrabah enough.
1: I can't remember the last time I've said that.
0: <laughs> it's like, an, it's just north of Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Super close. Um, Fontana. But uh, no, it, it just looked fun. They were running around and um, having, you know, it, it looked fun. And I, I trust John Favreau because yeah. if any of you have seen The Jungle Book, Highly wow. underrated. Highly underrated. Um, the live action one yeah. um, in 2016. And and I thought he did a phenomenal job with that. So if he's going to do anything close to that, with what I saw from this trailer, I'm sold.
1: And finally, Will Smith doesn't look like Kazam. Man. Listen, so two things with Will Smith. Yeah. Before we even get started, I'm going to just say Jafar needs to look crazier. He needs to look yeah. more sinister. Jafar
0: looked... It was like a diet Jafar. Yeah.
1: He just looked like a regular dude. Yeah. Just, like, I'm
0: not scared of you. Like, you look like I'll, you sell fake IDs. I
1: want to see... <laughs> I wanna see you go through some shit. You yeah. know? But like with Will Smith, the one thing I'm concerned about with this movie is Will Smith might be too big for this movie where everybody's gonna focus on him living up to Robin Williams Genie. When we can just sit back and say, who else would have been able to play this role? He's literally the only option to embody Genie now that Robin Williams is gone. Mm. First person, top of your head. Will Smith. Like there you go. That, you you have to choose him because he's chari- he's charismatic. Yeah, he knows what he's doing and he's comfortable with himself to act like a complete buffoon on screen, yeah. which you need from the genie. Yeah. But I'm excited for it. You know, I, I was actually hoping that we would have got some Peebo Bryson in a whole new world. Who, <laughs> he originally <laughs> you sang. heard a little. You heard a little. That was that was my shit growing up. Yeah. But you know they got they got the character singing it now. I'm like, all right, but I still kind of like Peebo Bryson's version of it. I, that song,
2: though. Yeah. I just hope that Gilbert Godfrey comes back to reprise yes. his role as Iago. But he's yes. not. <laughs> jarring with uh, that it's, be. uh Who did they say was Iago? Um, they just casted
0: it. Or they just cast it. Um, it? Oh, see, it's
1: Alan Tudyk. See, it's Disney. Disney's friends with Marvel. Alan Tudyk? I don't believe it. Alan Tudyk. I don't go with Gilbert so, Godfrey until I hear
2: it. So... <laughs> I mean, the last news of the day has nothing to do with Marvel I've, or Disney. I have no segue for this, but <laughs> Denzel Washington uh, is going to star in a new cop thriller called Little Things. Spencer, you're the Denzel Washington <laughs> aficionado, the fan here. I want to hear
1: take three. Training day two. Mm. Here we go. Training Which, day two. Imagine if you didn't die in training day two and just somehow develop a crack problem. Apparently the story is centered around him being a burnt out sheriff, now helping uh, LASD with catching a serial killer. But apparently his like his nose for crime is a little bit too accurate. So I'm leading it to think that this dude has a drug problem and he knows this world intrinsically. So I'm here for it. Whenever I can see like a Denzel Watson playing a sinister role, like he's gonna have like the crack jaw, is like always jittering yeah. And shit. Yeah. I'm here for that. I'm here for that. I'm always I'm
0: always stoked when actors who are so good at one thing go back to their roots. Yeah, and like Denzel's an amazing actor in everything he does, but like Training Day and you know his early movies were just Devil in a Blue Dress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you know, getting back to that and
1: like you know what I used to watch growing up, like I'm excited for it. He's Uh, a he's a he's a great detective, but what else? What else can Denzel play right now besides like the do good guy that has a dark past? I feel like that's his past ten movies is playing the older, whether it's a cop or a detective or some person of authority, going through some shit while dealing with some other shit. Like that's just, it, he, he can't play anything else but sort of a savior role right now.
0: Yeah, it's kinda, I, I don't really know. I'm I wouldn't totally really know, I guess, though. in a way, I wouldn't really know where I would put him or what I would do, but I mean, he hasn't done, he's kind of stepped out of like the big blockbuster type yeah. type things, I feel like. Yeah. He, he did that uh, uh, movie with Mila Kunis, Book of Eli. Yeah. And that was the last thing where I was like, what have you been doing since? So, you know, I, I, I'm all for this because, like I said, he's getting back to his roots. And, I mean, I watched Denzel, you know, like, fold a blanket.
1: Well, he's, he was supposed to direct a movie with Michael B. Jordan. Um, but I think this is taking uh, the front seat to his next project. And everybody widely knows that Denzel Washington takes his time when choosing his next project. So yeah. the fact that he's taking this on, he's going to put his all into it. Denzel hasn't really given us a dud ever. So I'm here for it.
2: So the next segment we're going to get into, new segment, it's called Producer Workshop. And these two guys are going to break down the process of how they went from their initial idea of All-American, which is their show on The CW, um, based on Spencer's life, all the way up until the premiere. So it's going to be a five-part series. Really excited to just learn about the process of you guys. So part one... Is going to be uh, from the initial idea right. all the way up until pitching and selling it. So, mm-hmm. I guess,
1: Damn. Wh- how did this?
2: Yeah. So, looking retrospectively at this, how did the initial idea come to be?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this idea of All American again. It's on TV right now on CW nine o'clock on Wednesdays. Our season our season finale is actually coming up next week, um, and we'll be on uh, Netflix March thirty first. So definitely binge that. But you know, this idea is essentially three years in the making, where I started writing my own scripted stuff just because I saw a shit ton of movies and TV shows, and I thought I can do this myself. Uh, a good friend of mine took notice and introduced me to Dane, uh, who's on the who's on the other mic right now, and during my sixth year playing in the league, during our bye week, I came back home to Los Angeles and just stopped by their house just to say what's up, just to introduce myself to Dane and and just really hang out. We had no intention on creating a TV show or anything like this, but... All this happened because of a conversation that we had sitting on his couch one night
0: yeah and that that night i remember my my roommate um skylar ort who used to play in the nfl and that was um a friend of spencer's was always like you need to meet spencer you need to meet spencer and i had been in the business for i don't know five to six years at the time um, at that point and i had gone to three production companies and was just ready for a change you know you're kind of working in a creative space but they're you know, you're still being told how to think, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, And I kind of wanted to get out and just do things on my own for a bit. And uh, one of my really close friends growing up is uh, Robbie Rogers, who uh, was a soccer player for um, the LA Galaxy, and now a producer on All American with us. And um, he and I started getting into into development a bit and started talking projects and seeing how that would go. And the night I met Spencer, we realized, you know, he played at Beverly Hills, I played at Peninsula and Palos Verdes, and we shared a lot of the same fields kind of growing up and which happens a lot in LA you realize that down the road but you know ours was it was a very famous game between our schools and we just started talking and had all these mutual connections and and mutual interests and we realized how into movies and tv we were and uh you know that sparked the conversation
1: yeah I mean just the the question I remember you know most polarizing from that conversation was he asked me how was it growing up in Beverly Hills and I look I've been asked that question thousands of times just because people assume they see me going to Beverly Hills High School, they think I live there. It's a buzzword. People are like <laughs>
0: Beverly Hills. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, he asked me that question and I just said, Oh no, I commuted every day. I had a permit and you know, I'd wake up at five forty-five in the morning to to get to XYZ, to get to class by eight o'clock. And, you know, speaking from his world, he would roll out of bed at seven thirty and make it eight o'clock class while I've already had two and a half hours in the morning. Sometimes just we to get my- to the same position. <laughs> As him of sitting in my chair so that's where that conversation came from of just like growing up in Los Angeles you know five or ten miles away from each other and having a completely different experience so after that conversation I went back to playing I thought nothing of it I was still writing my own stuff and uh, a few weeks later he calls me with Robbie Rogers on the phone and says hey we're working on a project but we actually think something can happen with this idea whenever you come back let's sit down and just tell us some stories So after the season, I came back and we met in a coffee shop in Culver City yeah, and literally just talked about stuff growing up in South Central while attending Beverly Hills, you know, the the drug affluence in Beverly Hills and the gang violence in South Central, just trying to avoid both of those worlds while still focusing on football. Um, From that conversation, I wrote up a small document just kind of detailing what I went through essentially like a couple uh, stories. It was almost a synopsis mindset. for your life. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. let we can call it a synopsis. And yeah, I think you know one of the most important lines in that synopsis was, you know, the most important game I've ever played wasn't between the chalked white lines. It was navigating two worlds of Los Angeles, of Beverly Hills and South Central. And frankly, I'm not sure I'll ever be done playing.
0: Yeah, I think you said which side of Pico. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like, yeah, just wish I like yeah. Pico Boulevard, to, uh,
1: <laughs> and those of you that aren't from Los Angeles, like Pico is like pretty much the definitive line of like Hollywood and South Central, essentially. So yeah, that's why that's why I put that in synopsis. But we sent that to Warner Brothers. Uh, Robbie sent it to um to Greg Berlanti. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Berlanti sent it to his higher ups, and that's when I got a phone call from Berlanti's team saying, "Hey, we want to meet with you." Yeah, uh, and a week later, me and Dane were sitting in their office, and I was just literally telling campfire stories about my life to at the end of it they were like let's see if we can do something with this
0: it was it was really nice early on to see people like everyone's embraced this story like someone asked me they said what has been the easiest part about it and like look we've had tons to learn in this i had never worked in scripted and this was a total learning process for us as we went but this happened so organically the story was so organic and these these matters and these things that you talk about are happening so you're not forcing a story and i think that's why a lot of people you know became interested and from that moment you know spencer went back and you know we had that meeting and he was home for a bit yeah but it's crazy how long this shit takes because <laughs> you know you're like down for two months and you're like what the fuck is happening like have you heard from them like, like is it a pass least, it is a go up? but like like you know you know you can hear something three months later and be like oh cool yeah but you know when we were developing it as a show you know we leaned on berlanti and and you know his team to kind of show us how that went and what that looked like i and, mean
1: and sorry to cut you off but yeah like, that was what was most interesting to me because i knew briefly you know very vaguely of who greg berlanti was in this world you know this is a guy that has executive produced The Flash, Arrow. He has Black 15 Lightning, uh, series on the air right 15 now. 15 shows on, which is, I think it's the record right now. Yeah, he's but, incredible. You know, he show ran Dawson's Creek when he was what, 22, 23 or so? Uh, like, late 20s. Late 20s. Late 20s. Um, but just like, <laughs> I mean, he's he's literally like the biggest shark in, in the ocean when it comes to TV producing. And if, again, being in LA, everybody has a script they're trying to sell, everybody has a story they're trying to sell. So when I'm having just casual meetings with people and i'm like oh you know i'm kind of working on this uh this show centered around my life you know they they take it in but they don't really put much weight into it and like oh who's attached to it well you know greg berlanti's team is is developing it and that's when the entire conversation changes it's like wait how the fuck did you get greg on this like this do you realize how big he is at the time i didn't really know how big he was i knew he was a name, but. I didn't know, you know, the magnitude that came with the name. So well, cause, cause that's been great. That's been great just just understanding the landscape under his umbrella.
0: And deep down, you know, everyone in this town is working on something. So no one really gives a shit about what you're doing <laughs> until you have a name association. You can say you're work-
2: I'm working on a pilot. Yeah. It's great. Oh, Everybody's working on a Everyone's pilot. working on a pilot. I'm literally pilot. working on a pilot.
1: Oh,
0: yeah, but so and so is behind it and it's a different conversation and that's kind of cool. Um, and we got lucky in that regard and and we appreciate it daily that the story got accepted and pushed forward and it was great. But when we were figuring out what that looked like, you know, we had to hire a writer. We did that with Berlanti's, uh, with team and we met with a few, we landed on a woman named April Blair who wrote an incredible pilot and she wrote the, uh, the feature Monte Carlo, Mm -hmm. she was a writer for the show you, which is killing it. Every single girl, have you seen you? you you? (laughs) It's like, yeah, it was on lifetime. Um, you know, she did, she did rain on the CW. She had, she had a great background and, um, found, found a middle ground with Spencer where she could get these, these thoughts out and just
1: kind of speak for him. But I know, yeah, well, you know, her biggest attribute that I, that I loved about developing the pilot was she straight up told me, she says, I'm a white woman from Florida. I don't know how to talk for a young black kid in South Central. So I need you like next to me when we're writing the script. And I will give you segments of the script to write because I simply don't know football. I don't know that world of the mindset of a kid from South Central. So for the next I mean, that the pilot lasted. We wrote that pilot over the span of like six or seven months. Yeah. Because there are different just goals that you have to hit with submissions and and just different versions to get script notes from the studio and the production teams and stuff.
0: So and you were you were in, it was your last season, yeah. You yeah. Were, so, like Spencer wasn't even there, so it was essentially just I was the only person who had a football background, <laughs> and you know, dealing with April and talking uh, to her about the story. Um, but it was in reality, it was Spencer's story, so we needed him around. So it was kind of hard. It was a juggling. Well, that's you know, and
1: that's what was interesting because during the 2017 season, I was for the most part a free agent. I finished mm-hmm. out the season with the Carolina Panthers, but after I got cut from the Jets, you know. And we were still going through the pilot pitching and everything. I was actually like stepping out of meetings, uh, defensive meetings, literally about to play preseason games, having conversations in the hallway w- about the script to April and to Greg and to Robbie, saying, "Oh, uh, you know, Spencer can do more things than just score touchdowns to win a game. Like he can block, he can tackle, he can he can do more than just do like you know the." Oh, he jumps over Ooh. two people and scores as time runs out. So, it was literally trying to put as much as myself into the script simultaneously while I was three thousand miles away attempting to make a jet squat, which was which I didn't, scene. by the way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> which I think I think it all worked out. <laughs> it, that was the most interesting part. Was he and i both understood and robbie did too because robbie's you know he's been in the olympics he played you know for the u.s soccer team he understands what emotions you can get from sports but when you're dealing with football you know we were going through the script with april and i mean look anybody who doesn't really know the game that much would assume a game winning pass at the last second is like that's that's where you go
1: yeah that's what you do yeah
0: but at the same time like there's no growth to that mm-hmm. and so you know when we were sitting down and trying to understand character development and how this kid could grow from this situation you know we we humbled him a little more in the pilot yeah he sacrificed himself and his glory for this new surrounding and just fitting in and being okay and you know those were a lot of the original arcs that we really wanted in it and um when we were deciding how to pitch this we used a tape of spencer in his um, new york jets gear he was in a uh, training room uh, filming himself on his
1: iPhone. No, it was on my iPad. I actually, it was 45 minutes until practice was about to start. Right now, anybody that knows Todd Bowles at the time, Todd Bowles was the head coach for the New York Jets. He's a no nonsense. I will fine you for anything. Like he, he's just a brute when it comes to how he, uh, you know, coaches a team. Yeah. So 45 minutes before practice, I'm thinking I have no time to send off this like three minute video that they need. Just talking about. Hey, this story is about somebody that's a lot, like a real person going through football. We need a visual, like visual aid, just showing that I'm still here. I'm not. I'm not this whatever case. So I asked my uh, one of the athletic directors uh, or athletic trainers, "Can I use their room for like literally five minutes? Like I'm good. Five minutes. I'll pop this out. We're good." That turned into forty-five minutes. I mean, forty minutes now. I said I had 45 minutes to get ready for practice. I left me with five minutes to put on all my pads and run out. And I remember after I got done with the video, because I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to to encapsulate what it meant to grow up in that world. But after I got done with the video, I ran to my locker, put on all my shit, and was like limping out to practice with one cleat on, like, please don't find me, because if you're late for a Todd Bowles practice, that's like a $7,000 fine. And <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want that. <laughs> but you know, we sent off the video and, and I actually, I wasn't in the, the pitch room. No. I wasn't even on the call because I was, you know, too busy trying to make a team, but Daniel's sitting in there and
0: we yeah. We went to town. I mean, we went to, you know, any of the markets you think we would go to with a, you know, a drama. And uh, some pitches went better than others. Um, <laughs> but you know when we went to cw um we could tell that what this meant to them and that they were they were invested with the story and it was just such a human story and spencer's video we kicked every pitch meeting off with that this is your this is your visual this is this is who the show's about yeah you know he's alive he's still doing things like and i greg always used the term um where it was kind of a modern day hero in his space like you know like look like there's there's so many ways, you know, all of our stories could go. But Spencer's won a very unique way. And now we're sitting across from each other, you know, talking on a podcast it. talking it about wild. it. And, you know, that started on our couch, <laughs> you know, and it was just it was just a, an amazing experience. But well, yeah,
1: even even when we were pitching and once we got word that, um, you know, CW wanted to develop it out. You called me. I'm I'm sitting in my hotel room in uh, New Jersey. It's yeah. it's day whatever in camp. My beard is long. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm beat to shit. I'm studying while watching The Office because that, that was my routine. I never watched regular TV during fall camp. I just put The Office on and study and then go to bed. And you still need to watch The Office. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I remember getting that call from you and you were just like, you were trying to contain your excitement because you didn't, it seemed like you didn't even know how to interpret your excitement at this point. Well, I think, you know,
0: you're in those rooms. And like I said, this was a learning curve. Like, you know, you learn a lot as you go. And anybody who acts like they know exactly what they're doing in this business is fucking, yeah. in, no. Like, yeah. like there's a way of doing things, but like, you have to figure that out, you know? And I think we've started to, and we were at that time. And, you know, Robbie and I were in the room Uh, with CW. And I remember we were telling the story, Spencer's story, and I could just see the executives, how engaged they were. They were into it. And I kind of, in the back of my head, I don't, I don't know, you can't read a room, but it felt good. And we walked out of the room and, you know, Greg and Robbie were in the elevator along with uh, Sarah Schechter, Greg's, um, uh, works over at Berlanti with Greg, works at Berlanti with Greg and uh, April. And we all just kind of looked at each other in the elevator and Robbie and I looked at each other like, we sold it. Like yeah. We sold the pilot. And I remember I could not wait to just get out of the elevator so I could get on the phone and dial Spencer because and, it happened.
1: And you told me in the meeting when the moment you knew you had that the team had them was the executive was writing notes in her notebook and then in mid pitch she closed it, just folded her arms and was just listening attentively, like not yeah. breaking eye contact. She listened and you to the said, story. you like that's the moment I realized hindsight obviously like that's the moment we realized that she wanted to listen to the story and not just take notes about it like it was any other pitch that she had. No. And that was the moment that apparently we got her. And
0: you know, this business it's you know your storytelling and we were telling a story <laughs> and she was engaged and I could tell. And I, I'm on, you know, I my mind goes a mile a minute if anyone knows me, but like I in that moment I was super calm. Yeah. And I felt good. And I'm also soaking it up and watching, you know, the best in the business, you know, help push our project. And I think anyone in this business, you can understand what that means to you.
1: That and in that moment, in my, in that moment, I was banging heads with 300 pound linemen. So yeah, I'm glad you had that experience. Yeah, I was <laughs>
0: tired. Sweating. No, I went home and like. <laughs> you know, did nothing. But, but
1: that, I mean, even that night when you when you got a chance to talk to me, um, again, I'm sitting in my room looking over notes, taking notes, watching The Office, and I'm, I, I'm tired. I'm sore. I low-key just did not want to be there, but I told myself, like, this was going to be my last year playing no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. So I essentially already had one foot out the door when it came to the NFL. So once I got that call that said, <laughs> CW wants to, you know, produce this show, develop it out, what have you. Like I got on the phone with my wife and was like, you need to convince me not to walk into Todd Bull's office right now and tell him to cut me. Because (laughs) like I got practice in the morning and I don't really need to be here if I know we have a show at least getting developed by CW. And she was literally like just talking me off of a ledge because I'm like, I'm doing, I'm doing this shit. I'm I'm walking out right now, I'm putting on my shoes. This team, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and again, this is like every every player has that mindset. No, your, your favorite player, I guarantee it. You know, they talk a big game on social media and everything. Every player in the middle of fall camp, after the first week, when the when the the shine wears off, or whatever, and you're sitting in there and you're tired and you're sore, you're beat to shit, you're looking at the same faces you've been looking at for the past two weeks. Every player has that thought where it's like, you know what. Is it really that bad if I walk away from the sport right now? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm good. I saved some money. I had, I had a good time. Like, those thoughts are natural when it comes to just being in the trenches of fall camp. Yeah. So to be in the trenches like that and then know that an opportunity is starting to build 3,000 miles away that I can just, like, sit in meetings and, like, drink fresh, pressed juices and just not have to bang heads and beat people up for a living, I was ready to walk out
0: yeah immediately and and i could tell it was in your voice and just you know we were talking daily and at the same time we were discovering how we would work together and how this this would go you know and um when he got back i mean we were full full go but at the same time you know you sell a pilot Mm -hmm. and it was the i mean we've we've only sold one but you know at the time we realized how lucky we were because it's incredibly hard to do because you still have to get picked up to series you have to go make the pilot you have Mm -hmm. to find a director um, you know, we learned a lot in that process, which and is
2: all stuff that we're gonna get into. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm yeah, so yeah. disappointed that I made this into a five <laughs> part series now. <laughs> yeah, because I just want to hear the end of this. But I
1: mean, I will say, just just like just to wrap this part of it up, is you know what when you're pitching a show. Um, it could be about it could be about zombies. It could be about like space force. Shout out to Steve Carroll. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. Yes. But no matter no matter what you're pitching, you want to dive into a universal truth, something that anybody has gone through when it comes to just their life. Yeah. So the the main thing that we really honed in on was the fact that yes, we're telling a story about a young black kid from South Central going into a whole new world, but we're also telling the story of just an outsider just trying to figure out where he fits whether it be South Central, Beverly Hills or whatever, we were telling that story that everybody can relate to because we all know when you walk into somewhere and you just feel unfamiliar with the space and you're trying to understand who are you in this space, like what do you need to do to be acclimated to this space, to assimilate into it, that's the story we were telling. I think that's what really resonated yeah. with with the execs.
0: And just to, last thing I'll say about that too, is there's a line in the, there's a line in the uh, series that I believe Layla says to Spencer, and this was, you know, I'm from Powell's Ferties, and you know, he, she says, uh, "You can be from anywhere and have a sad story, Spencer." Yeah, and that was the case. I mean, I'm from Palos Verdes. He went to Beverly Hills High. Like I know tons of people where you know, there's people in South Central who are better off than some in Palos Verdes and vice versa. Mm-hmm. It was, it's a human story, and you know that's what we've been excited about. And so go watch it.
1: You should probably watch. Yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Netflix, March 31st. That'll be cool if you do.
2: Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited to hear the rest of this. Uh, yeah the rest of the four parts of this, but going to get into the next segment. Let's do it. You guys, let's do it. Uh, So this is one that we're going to call film room where we break down a film into four quarters where we talk about four different topics. We have a pregame and a postgame pregame starts off with overall thoughts. So we're going to get into it right now. What are your guys' overall thoughts on triple frontier, the new Netflix movie that just dropped this
1: week? I feel like I was watching like Ocean's 11 meets Tropic Thunder but like serious.
0: <laughs> you wanted That's it just, to be Tropic Thunder so I was bad. so
1: like whatever I see jungle I'm like okay we we we're, we're going to Tropic Thunder but it was it was okay. I was I was expecting so much more just because the cast was insane but it was it was predictable. It was predictable.
0: I mean, yeah, and that's how they laid it out. I mean, it was just... All the marketing was just those dudes on a billboard.
1: And mainly, like, Ben Affleck at the forefront when he's not even the main character. No. Yes, he has a strong story, but, you know, uh, Oscar Isaac is the catalyst that brings this group together. Yeah, and I think my big issue... For one, going
0: in, I was actually very excited because I was saying this to producer Matt earlier. I'm like a DL, like i'm really into zero dark 30 i think it's a really good movie um and i kind of watch it like more than i probably should but uh (laughs) it's the same writer and so i was encouraged i was like this will be great this will be fun and i got in and it it is an okay film um and it kind of hit the same old tropes in regards to character development like there's the salty dude who like hasn't been Mm. hasn't been on a mission in a while and yeah, he's trying yeah. to prove it to his family that was affleck you know there was hunum who like you just couldn't even get a smile out of um <laughs> yeah. garrett Hedlund, who like who's like the young like brash kind of the like, hot shot the he's hot like shot. the wild card of the yeah group.
2: he's also ready to go like just he was also no and that's what. that's let's dive into the first quarter right yeah here, since we're kind of touching on it anyway yeah. so first quarter we're going to talk about the characters and and first just the five characters that were involved in this movie the the main centerpieces of it mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we had Ben Affleck, uh, Charlie Hunnam, Oscar Isaac, Garrett Hedlund, and Pedro Pascal. Um, <laughs> interesting uh, interesting cast for sure. Um,
1: On paper, this is an amazing cast. Definitely. Definitely. On paper. Uh, On paper.
2: What, what did you guys think of uh, initially of how the characters, like, di- were they different from each other? Were they...
1: Similar in some ways. They were so different from each other, but that's not necessarily a good thing because although they were different from each other, they all played into a very specific trope in Hollywood that we've seen a thousand times before. Where, you know, Oscar Isaac is the, you know, I have this mission and I'm unwilling to do it, which we've seen before. He's the George Clooney of this. Exactly. Ben Affleck is the, you know, I want to do that, but I'm a little restricted, but eventually. when he, when we get uh Oscar Isaac in front of Ben Affleck he's like hey i have this mission for you and ben affleck goes like i can't go back i can't do it yeah. again like we we've seen the reluctant guy you know the my past you know i can't do I've it i've got man. a daughter stuff.
0: he does it <laughs> let me get let me get into my chevy <laughs>
1: <laughs> they all drive trucks yeah.
0: they all drive trucks and then
1: you have then you have you know charlie Hunnam, who you know, he's the guy who's, he's the toughest nails. Like, I can get shot and still keep going. I don't say too much, but when I do say, like, you fucking listen to me. Talks like out right. the side of his mouth. It was He got- kind
2: of started the... The movie off right yeah, he kicked it monologue, off monologue right about being a
1: warrior warrior like yeah uh-huh. and he's choking
0: that, someone out in the uh like a convenience store right was yeah.
1: <laughs> i was like what and then you, then you have you know garrett Hedlund, who is just like the fucking wild card pop off that's like i'm gonna go do some crazy shit and we're just gonna have to make up for it as we go but that was his trope we, again we've seen all these before where pedro pascal he plays the sort of the moral compass among the group. I know right. Charlie Hunnam has a, has a little bit of pop here and there where he plays that moral compass. Even but
2: Garrett Hedlund did that a little bit too towards the end of the movie. Yeah. His character kind of had a... But that was only because of what happened to Ben Affleck. And obviously yeah. we're going to be um, spoiling this movie a little bit um, as we go. So just a heads up moving forward here.
1: But it, it was just like even Garrett Hedlund, like all of his lines just felt like, you could have thrown you could have thrown any of his lines into like a 90s action film and been like this is the cheesiest shit I've ever seen. There was one scene where Garrett, Charlie, and I think Isaac were just trading barbs on like who can just like out-American who can, yeah. one another. It the campfire? Like, yeah, it was like yeah. we, we can do this. Oh, we're not we're not turning back now. Oh, yeah. we're doing, I'm like, all right guys, can we have some actual dialogue? Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's it, dive into it.
0: It was a pretty, you know, it was a very underwhelming movie to me. Like, I, I, I had a good time, like, in, in, in regards to what I was seeing. The actors did a great job. I will watch, we were talking about this. Oscar Isaac is great. Mm. Yeah. There's something about him where he's just like. This was a dreamy, was a hunky movie. Yeah, what right? Because,
2: like, <laughs> well. The hunky movie.
1: So. Yeah.
0: The <laughs> US military is probably just killing it on Bumble. Or like.
1: <laughs> we, we, we talked about this, how there's, there's no true antagonist. The antagonist comes mm. in the form of. Um, a villain called Lucia who literally pops up. Lare- twice. Larea. Larea. My Larea. Man, Larea. Who pops up twice throughout the whole movie. But I was actually thinking of, there There were a couple times where where Oscar Isaac, he kind of lingered in thought and in action a little bit to where I was thinking like, maybe he is Larea in mm. some way, shape, or form because his story is, you know, they don't work for the military anymore and now he's in South America doing these like one-off missions with you know whoever is essentially paying him yeah so in my head i'm like okay if if he's not in the military he's going down there like it's not hard to believe that he could be trying to get his money out of south america by using the team he knows can get it out Mm -hmm. without telling him he's a military advisor so he goes from like
0: yeah he goes from thing to thing and um he he works with advisors as well you know so like if you want to say there was a love interest it was that one advisor from the start with him. I mean, yeah. there wasn't much of a female presence in the movie in general, mm-hmm. like at all, really, yeah. except through the advisor, uh, Oscar Isaac's advisor. Other than that, it, it kind of was just like a dude fest. A lot of high fives, you know, <laughs> a lot of- testosterone was high after that movie. So high, lot sure. A, so a high. lot of slim
1: fits <laughs> and like, you know- I will uh, say this. For some reason, military men have the best sunglasses. You have, said did that. Did you notice that? They all had like some pretty sunglasses. For some sunglasses. reason I always think of Oakley's. But they went they went far and beyond Oakley's in this movie. I'm like, oh those like you you got those from fucking Sun Hut, Sunglass Hut. Like, <laughs> you didn't just you didn't just pick these up like standard issue. Like you went out and were like, oh no, these are polarized. Like I like the way they fit my face. Let's go.
0: Okay. I'll I, give you that. I'll I'm, give you that. I,
1: I've got long long like Oakley m- vibe
2: though, most of the time. <laughs> as long as they're, they're like, not like white Oakleys or our nets. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we kind of talked about the having no antagonist, which is an interesting choice, and, and them being the antagonists themselves, right? So that kind of um Ben Affleck almost served in a way as like the like you felt bad for him. Yeah. And you kind of felt bad for all these characters. What was the um I guess talking about what was their pushback in this movie and and, and essentially like What did you guys think of not having the antagonist? Let's get into that a little bit more.
0: I I think there's different ways to interpret this. I mean, clearly, this is our opinion and like how I perceived it, but like I felt like they were their own worst enemy. Yeah. Like it was greed, greed was the enemy, and it was just kind of like, you know, there's a shitload of money. Let's fucking risk our lives for it and leave our families. Well, what happens? They go after a shitload of money. It doesn't go well, and they start thinking about their families and all their regrets. So. To me, I kind of saw all that coming and I saw Ben Affleck's character as the catalyst to push them forward because they look at this guy and it's like, Hey, you were so good at the shit you did, but you come back to the real world and like no one cares about you really. Yeah. And that was kind of heavy, like because I know like like there's aspects of that in the military where people come back and they they want to feel embraced, you yeah. know, and they don't get that. And Affleck is his character is trying to find his way. He's got this kid and you know, I, I think one of the most the most emotional moment in the movie. Um, spoiler alert, you know, before he dies, is he says his daughter uh, says, I love you. Or he says, I love you to his daughter when he drops her at school. And she turns around and says, I miss you. Yeah. Like, you're never there. So you feel bad for this guy. And when you lose him, everyone kind of comes together in their own way. So, like, a majority of the film, to me, just, like, was predictable. But it was also them just getting the fuck out of their own way.
1: Yeah, and just even in the first act, they're talking about how, like, there are so many obstacles in order to get to this money which they literally encountered everything they talked about but once they get a seemingly over that hump they revert back to just being money hungry greedy people where you're talking about a tactical team that spent weeks planning this mission and and just doing everything they possibly can to make sure it goes up up to up to code but once they see the money in front of them it's like okay nobody's watching the door to make sure somebody isn't sneaking in to kill us like let's just mm-hmm. do a fucking money grab they're missing their their out point where it's like oh we only have 12 minutes to get this money and get the fuck out they're going like five or ten minutes over having long dialogues and while the time is ticking i'm sitting there like yo get what you can and get out you had already at this point they said they already accumulated like close to a hundred million dollars like what the fuck is another bad and you knew eye? it was what? gonna
0: go bad because they threw out a line remember like it was like i feel like they went over the script and it was like oh shit there's not enough background for for affleck <laughs> so they were like Hedlund goes I've been going on missions with you for ten years, and in those ten years, you never missed an very hour. Very expositional, and I'm Heavy, like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, so something's about to go wrong. Like, yeah,
2: and that's kind of let's dive into the second quarter of this. We're already halfway through the second quarter. I feel like, but script talking about script, story structure, and yeah. essentially yeah. like dialogue being very expositional in in how they presented the information. Right? Yeah. It, it was a lot of telling and not and not showing. It's like, yeah. man, you're like you're always like this. Uh, I know you, you're counting. I know you, I know you know the minutes. You can't help yourself, right? Where they said Ben Affleck that one time and, and you, you, it gives you a sense that these characters have been together before, but not in a way that feels authentic.
0: And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that speech where it's like, it's the reluctant killer, which we've said that word about Affleck a lot where he's like, only thing I was good at was picking up a gun. Yeah. And it's like,
1: I haven't been I, myself since I well retired.
0: Then, then real estate agent was a real curveball, yeah. man. Like, I don't know. Like, like, <laughs> you know, like I, I don't really get that. So, um, you know, there were moments where I kind of looked at Spence and we were we were watching this and I'm like, the
1: fuck? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, it's what it, just happened? The dialogue was so like the character building I thought was great. Like yes. at the beginning. At the beginning when when you see like Oscar Isaac Dor, what he does, like you see uh, I thought Charlie the opening Hato, scene was awesome. Yeah, like that to me was the best part of the film, but this dialogue it felt like you can take it and throw it into the 90s and put Arnold Schwarzenegger at the helm and you get all those action quotables and now you have a 100 million dollar film at the theater yeah it just seems like they just they ripped off as as many action movies in the 90s as a kid and put it side by side to a, a very somber tone like the, it, it was just it was just weird understanding how somebody could be like, oh we're going into the night with this one. But then, you know, dudes are emotional the next scene. Yeah. It was it was very like expendables meets emo.
0: Yeah, and it was kind of weird. I, I And maybe I looked into this too much, but like Pedro Pascal's character, I think Pedro Pascal's great. But in this movie, I felt he was pretty one-dimensional. Like I know he said in the beginning, he's like, I don't want to go. I have this and that and this and that. But then when he was on the mission, I didn't feel him not wanting to be there. Yeah. He was like, fuck it, I'm here. But it was like, I wanted more of like, I wanted a little more
2: background on some of these people and we didn't really get that. Like, There was just something about cocaine and that was it Yeah, Yeah. Pedro Pascal's character. And you're like, and he's like, ah, cocaine? Was it coke? And it's like, ah,
0: It's like, all right, dude. So I know two things about you. Like you have a wife and you love coke. And that he flies (laughs) and then he flies. And that you know
2: three
1: things about Pedro Pascal. And that you can fly
0: a helicopter. And you
1: can barely do that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's true. That money must have been heavy.
2: Did you guys <laughs> find this predictable? Did you find like when Ben yes. Affleck got shot in the head, you were like, that's gonna happen? See, yes.
1: That part I didn't think was predictable.
2: What that kid it, 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 sorry, go on. Well, but like I saw
0: that coming.
1: Well, you know, you know, obviously we're spoiling it right now, but you know, Ben Affleck ends up killing a villager where after their plane crashes, they have to try to appease these villagers. They end up killing it because the villagers become hostile towards them and Dude pulls a knife. Dude pulls a knife Eey. and Ben Affleck like shoots him in the head. But as they're walking out with that village's like mules, a kid steps in the middle of the road and is like, where the fuck are you guys going? But the elders, like, hey, they paid their dues, like, let them pass, you know, move forward 10 minutes. That kid has been tracking them in the mountains for like and, three days. Yeah, ends up like literally giving a headshot to Ben Affleck. And I thought. Once Ben Affleck turned around and he saw the kid that Oscar Isaac was about to come out of nowhere and shoot the kid, because that happened. It's a predictable movie, so I'm thinking a predictable thing is about to happen, but the kid just popped off one in Ben Affleck's head. And I'm like, oh, he's dead.
0: It wasn't like, <laughs> it, there was a slight buildup, but it was one of those things, you see Ben Affleck's face turn, yeah, and then it just yeah pops, and, and then around the corner, the guy's like, are you okay? Like, yeah. runs over, and he's like wake up and they there's like up, a right? bullet hole in his head i'm like <laughs>
1: they like, all, they all run up to him and they're like come on man come on get up i'm like he has a bullet going through his head.
0: There, Well, it's funny because there was a South Park where the mayor puts a bullet in her head oh, yeah, and yeah. you think she dies. And then in the next, like the commercial comes back and she yeah. has a bandage and she's still in a meeting. She's like, and I just, I, I thought of that. It's like but,
1: fucking uh, like Will Ferrell in the in first uh, Austin Powers when he goes down into the, into like the lava pit and he, like- My legs are so, broken. How could somebody help <laughs> Very badly burned. Yeah. You <laughs> shot me. <laughs> but again, spoiler, Ben Affleck does not, that he's fucking dead yeah yeah gone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so batman was out but you know I, I look it was one of those movies we were we're kind of clowning it in some ways but at the same time like i liked that i could follow the story it was predictable um but it was it was interesting in seeing like them come together and just figure it out and it was i thought the movie wouldn't end like it did it ended somewhat abruptly for me I also kind of thought the whole movie. We thought the whole movie that Oscar Isaac was actually the bad dude. Yeah, and we were wrong on that. We thought so that would subverted twist. your expectations. That yeah,
2: too predictable of a movie. Either. Too yeah.
0: predictable, but or we thought the advisor would come back because he, he she kind of pieces out
2: and goes to Australia, but then at the end you just realize. I think that's an interesting change, right? Where it's yeah. like you don't see her again um, at all, and it's like that normally she would be like tagging along on the rest of that yeah adventure. Yeah. But
1: it's like, no, like get the fuck she's out like, of here. I'm out. Like y'all do what I she's do. she's gone. I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. And but I,
2: and I think that says something about like the military genre in general. So let's like hop into uh the third quarter yeah. of this uh film room with just talking about the military genre in general. And I know Dane, you're a big fan, um, like you said with Zero Dark Thirty and a bunch mm-hmm. of others. But what did and and spencer you touched on tropes of this yeah. genre is it th- does this is this something that needs to change or do we need to re- have a refresh or D- dane you're into it i i think these i think it's just understanding why we're telling these
0: stories like this was an okay story like we didn't really need this movie like it was cool like but i feel like you know the last really a lot of people didn't love dunkirk i loved dunkirk yeah Because for me, military stuff is more historical and history is, you know, it's a story. So like, I like seeing how these things played out. I like seeing how they're done. Um, You know, speaking of Denzel, like one of my favorite military movies is silly as it sounds is Glory. Yeah. And just because that's more of a historical thing. Like, I think there's different ways to tell these stories and this wasn't a new innovative way of doing that. And I think for... You know, people like us, if we're getting nitpicky with it, like, that's kind of what I want to see is I want to see forward thinking in that regard. And maybe I'm off and I can't speak for that writer, the director or what they want to do accomplish. But I don't need to go see that movie again.
1: Well, when it comes to military tropes, like you really only get And in, in the past couple of years, it's only been there's a team that's up against some, you know, abominable force. And they're going through the whole tactical mission of trying to rid a country or uh, or you know, get Al Qaeda or something like that just out of the paint. Or it's we've been, you know, thrown away by the military and now we have a chance to finally get some money on our own or use our skills to do something technically illegal. Let's all come together and do that, which this is what that movie leans on. So I would like to just see a broader scope of when it comes to what stories are happening in the military, much like being an athlete and and understanding this world through a producer lens now, I'm interested in telling stories about athletes that are far more than just oh he has a great upbringing. Let's let's give him a show on fashion or let's give him a show on on whatever. It's like no like what are you doing? Like what is stuff that's important to you? What's what are the intric- the intricacies that are happening in your everyday life that we can spotlight. And I think that's what needs to happen in you know, military genre. Right. It's just showing like showing everyday life, showing like the PTSD. I know there's uh, there was a film with um with um Shia LaBeouf that came out recently where he's a he's a war vet that comes. There's out. that movie
0: Brothers I was talking about Brothers, with Toby yes. McGuire he comes back and he's just all fucked up in the head. Yes. and it's it's yeah.
1: Like like just give us a broader scope of what like there are some military men that are like, I love my fucking job. Yeah. That's I know I, some of those
0: guys.
2: They're great exactly. guys. It felt like this movie didn't know whether to, like, show the the rawness of being like after like post uh, soldier day your years mm-hmm. versus like it romanticizes it in the beginning, right? Yeah. With that whole speech and like you know, warrior warrior mentality, and it's like it kind of wants to show. It doesn't know which one it wants to be. Yeah. And it, but this isn't just a military genre. I think it also uh, touches on the heist genre, like you said. Yeah. It's yeah. an Ocean's Eleven, and I thought it, it was an interesting format or an interesting change to the heist genre, heist genre with putting the heist um, not at the very end, right? And it's yes. kind of right. Yes. Like it was cur- it was early on in in the movie. Yeah. And that's then the a good rest point. of it is the journey from post heist to like getting the it money was there. kind of
0: the repercussions of your actions it was just right. like feeling that like sense of urgency and you could kind of feel it with that but at the end of the day like i and these aren't fair to compare but i look at a movie like saving private ryan and what i got from those characters
2: mm-hmm.
0: is night and day compared to what i got from triple frontier and i don't want to compare those yeah, but that's but, like. but that's what i want to that's what i want out of those military movies i want to understand these people like, yeah. I want to I learn more about them. Like, the character stuff in Triple Frontier, like, we didn't get tons of it. Yeah, it, We got banter. We got their history of what they're doing. I don't really know much about the, you know, whether it was a line or not. And if I miss that, correct me. But, you know, like, where with Saving Private Ryan, one of my favorite parts of that is Tom Sizemore's character grabbing dirt from every place he goes yeah. and puts it in. You know, it was, like, the little things that, like, I didn't know, like, but people did that. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of shit that I like. And... A it was historical and B it was just cool. But well,
1: I just want to know why they didn't use silencers in the house. Like if you do had a whole arsenal of military shit and he just couldn't find a handful of silencers, like they're just rattling off gunfire in didn't this they, house and didn't still trying to be like creeping.
2: I think they wanted to make it seem like it was locals that did it. Right, that was the yeah. whole idea. And then. Like
1: our locals gonna have silencers on their
2: guns, I so like, I think that was like the one reason why they couldn't have silencers. I
1: feel like we're selling the the villagers and the and the locals
2: short. Definitely, I mean, there, there yeah, might yeah, be yeah. Some Yo, the so, villagers so, caused
0: you know, serious. <laughs> pro- the villagers might have been the antagonists. Yeah. That, right. they were, that
1: kid was the, a dick. Yo, in the in the opening scene, the you know. They surround the house and the locals are like blasting music. Oh, disco right? yeah, yeah, that it was a disco. even said It did. It was like, a a it right. it it was like <laughs> the thing. And I
0: was like, <laughs> "That's like, that's cool." Fun.
2: What? Um. So we kind of touched on this a little bit, but fourth quarter, kind of getting to the last part of this uh, film room. I want you guys to throw on your producer hats. Like, what would you change Dope. about this movie? What would be something that you'd make an adjustment to? Um, even a casting, anything like that, a
1: screenplay change. Yeah, I think I think you get to the, the reason we talked earlier about how the heist was technically the middle of the film. It was like the ending of, of Act two for the mm-hmm. film. And you get into this, you know act three where they're just trying to just shuck these bags across a the countryside. They're going through snow, mountains, like the jungle, and they have literally a hundred million dollars attached to them where I would want them to cut the script down to a 90-minute film and get to that part as fast as they can. Yeah. Because after a while, you're just like, okay, they're they're moving bags from one place to another, and it's just like, oh, now they're going over a mountain with these bags. Now they're going through water with these bags. Now they're going through a village with these. It's like cut out 10 pages of that and get us down to that 90 to like 110 minute and just get there faster.
0: Yeah, I I would have liked to see them go through a little more like I felt like yeah there was a sense of urgency in getting out of the country because they had that money but there wasn't really specifically someone on their tail and if there was it wasn't acknowledged well and to me it's the character stuff it's just I wanted to learn more about those people because I didn't give a shit enough at the end of the movie to come back for a second one. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, like I, I, I mean, like which Oscar they Isaac, alluded to. which they alluded to yeah. because they had to drop a shitload of money because it was getting so heavy carrying in the helicopter just to get over a mountain range. Yeah. Spoiler alert. But like it, it wasn't enough for me to come back. Um, I would have loved to see more character development. I would have loved to, um, have just felt the stakes a little more, Yeah. you know? And I, look, it, like I said, I love I love this writer and what he's done and, you know, I'm sure with a second viewing, I'd get a lot more out of it. But for me,
2: kind of a loss. <laughs> yeah. What What about the name of the film, Triple Frontier? Can you, I don't even know what that means. Sounds like a video game. I is was it, trying I think, to figure it out. I think it's what you just said. It's triple, like different. So they're in the jungle, they're yeah. in the mountains, and then they're in the, like, near the, like ocean, right? the ocean, right? Well, that, but that's what I'm saying. Is it like, what is this? What does Triple Frontier even mean? I had no idea when I was watching. I, I didn't mean anything it to me. Yeah, I've been couldn't thinking couldn't of at,
0: the more you say "Triple Frontier," the more I think of Oregon Trail. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Dysentery, which in the same
0: way, I mean, it was a path they had to get there. But uh, I don't really know.
1: Well, also with the duration of the script and and the story in general, it felt like that. Well, I thought the cinematography was great.
0: Yeah, it, it was shot like beautifully. Some of
1: the rock scenes where mm-hmm. like literally just thousands of rocks were the, piled the, upon. Where, the where tree. was like, that? Where the fuck, where that looked there? like another planet. But. Sometimes it felt like this, the scene was going too long because the cinematographer was like, no, I want you guys to sit and marvel at how good this shot is. I'm like, all right, we got it. I saw it for three seconds. Move the fuck on.
2: Yeah. It was a beautifully shot film. I will say that. Okay. We're in the post game now. Triple frontier. Was it a big loss,
1: big win, just kind of middle of the road. What do we think? I noted it to be a preseason game win. Loss for me. (laughs) Loss for me. It means nothing at the end of the day.
0: No, and you know it was not a terrible movie, but again, I'm not going back to watch Triple Frontier. on um, I
2: recently watched on Netflix. I have a lot of other shit there. Plus, it's Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna do it, I think. Yeah. Does anyone have anything else? We uh...
0: I got to go watch that Endgame trailer like ten more times today. Yeah, <laughs> I got a lot of <laughs> shit to been, do. <laughs> it's been
2: on my mind. Well, hey guys, thank you for joining us. You can join the conversation further by tweeting us. At Paysinger with no vowels at Dane Mork. Use the hashtag film study podcast and subscribe. Rate us five stars. We don't have a sign-off yet, but I I kind of thought of one the other day. What of, you
1: got? What you got for us?
2: You know, we got to roll the credits. Roll credits. Something hey. like that. Okay.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go.
2: Roll credits. Roll credits. Boom. Peace. <laughs>